Hello, dear listener. This is Future Danny, with a little addition to today's episode. As you'll hear in about 40 minutes, we have made a shiny new subreddit for Station 13 discussion. Unfortunately, I made two mistakes when introducing it. I forgot to mention it until the end, and I forgot to say where it is. You can check it out now, if you like, at reddit.com slash r slash station 13. That's with the numbers 1-3, not the word. Naturally, there's a link in the show notes. Now, on with the show. Episode 10 is very exciting. It is. We've made it this far, and we've never mentioned this before on the podcast, but when we first started this, we said that 10 episodes was our uh, make it or break it, sort of, it could go, if it was going badly, we'd stick it out for 10 episodes just to see, you know, how it goes, and then we'd, you know, we were committing to 10 episodes, and then we'd decide whether to carry on. So the big question, Alex, is will there be an episode 11? No, I don't think so. Of course there will. (laughs) I was hit, hit for a moment by an arrow of disappointment, but saved at the last minute. I I also agree. I'm, I'm enjoying it very much and happy to carry on. I'm glad that you agree because I splashed out this week and I paid a little bit extra to get the, uh, detailed stats in the sort of next tier up of our podcast host they offer a page where you can look at who's listening from which countries and what software they're using and things like that so you get a bit more detailed information wow okay and so i thought that that would be quite an interesting thing to look at i'm not sure if i really want to hear this no it's good It's, it's quite interesting i've been looking through it as as you may expect the English-speaking countries of the world <laughs> rank very highly. Funny about that. Who would have thought? Now, I should preface all this by saying that this data isn't 100% reliable because especially in the earlier episodes when I was still setting up the website and things like that, every time I would refresh the page to test my CSS and things, that would get marked as a download. Wow, okay. It would download the episode again. Which I think I've fixed now. I think now if you go to the page, it doesn't actually start downloading until you press play. So we should get fewer spurious downloads now. But I only did that last week. So there is some dodgy data in here. I think the the California and Sweden ratings and Japan ratings are sort of very high because that's where we are. And we've been looking at our own website trying to set it up and fix things and stuff. So bear all that in mind. But the overwhelming largest number of listeners is in the United States with 44%. Right. And then next is Japan with with 19%. So that all seems fairly much expected, right? Yeah. This is obviously where I'm based. And for the majority of the podcast so far, Japan has been where you've been based. Right. So, and we all have friends in these areas who are, who are listening to it. And we're also listening to it and, and testing things out and things. So, Hello, friends. Hello, friends of the show. So... The next two countries also make a lot of sense. Those are the United Kingdom and Australia. Right. Where, again, we obviously both have family, we both have a lot of connections, and they're both major English-speaking countries. So right. that is that's more or less how you, as you would expect. And then, and then you've got Canada, which is the other big English-speaking country you'd probably think of, and Sweden, which is where you're currently based. So that's, I think that those are all fairly obviously going to be at the top, right? Right. So then we get into some of the more interesting ones. We've got the, the next is Ireland, which is also an English-speaking country, so I guess that's, that's to be expected. And then we have some of the, the European 
standards, France, Spain, Germany, followed by Norway. So Norway has got a little bit of, there's, there's a fair proportion of listeners, but Norway has got a little bit of catching up to do to reach Sweden. Right. I know the Swedes are at a, an advantage because Alex is there mm. and he's probably wandering around Stockholm all the time with a loudspeaker saying Station 13, the best new podcast. It's actually a truck, Danny, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that probably accounts for the overwhelming popularity in Sweden. But I think Norway, you can beat Sweden. And I, I know Alex will no doubt be cheering on his adopted home country, but I'm on your side, Norway. I think you can do it. So if you, if you are from Norway and you're listening, mention it to, to all your friends and, and try and beat out Sweden. That's your mission for this, <laughs> for this next fortnight. This is like, uh, kind of like some kind of Eurovision, isn't it? It, <laughs> it is kind of. The, the Eurovision of Station 13 is, is yeah. a Eurovision with only one podcast. That's right. I mean, we, we need Denmark. Denmark are featured, but they are very low down the list. Oh, okay. They are, in fact, along with Poland... And Sri Lanka. Right. <laughs> we have the fewest number of listeners from Denmark. So Denmark, if you're listening, you've got work to do. Right. You know, I'll just leave it at that. But Norway, you're in with a chance. I think if you go for it, you could win. This is exciting. Yeah, no, it's exciting. So I, I, I want to get this going. I basically want to try and get all these countries competing with each other. Right. <laughs> in the friendliest possible of ways, of course. That's uh, that's really exciting. We should keep tabs on uh, on Norway versus Sweden. We should. That's what I, I think. That should be a regular feature: Norway versus Sweden. Who is who is winning it out? And actually, in order to do that, I have already because this podcast statistics that I've got access to it only tells you the total number of listeners to date mm. for each region. Oh, I see. So I I can see how many people have ever downloaded Station Thirteen. Or I can also see how many people have downloaded episode 9 of Station 13 from each country. Right. But I can't see who da how many people from Norway downloaded it today. Oh, I see. So, in order to see that, I actually wrote a script that will, every day, read the feed <laughs> and subtract the numbers from the previous day's wow. data. And thus, I can actually get daily totals. So, although this the podcast hosts don't support that, we have the power. So... We will see. So we'll track it. We'll see. Next episode, we'll have a. Uh, we'll go over this again and see who is winning out: Norway versus Sweden. Go Norway. Follow up. Follow up. Last episode, I mentioned an Oriental metal band which I had listened to that I thought was quite good, if a little bit new metal for my taste. But they kind of were doing what I was looking for, which was to have this kind of Arabic-inspired sound mm. with pretty good metal even though it's a little bit kind of mainstreamy yeah and that band was called mirath or myrath m-y-r-a-t-h i'll put a link in the show notes they have an amazingly cheesy music video on their front page great uh, <laughs> they have pretty good production and i do think it's quite good i did actually go and listen to a couple of their albums in full after we recorded the last episode and i did enjoy them so they are pretty good they're from tunisia mm. so that's very interesting. We didn't get any. We didn't have any Tunisian listeners when I was <laughs> when I was looking through the geography data. We need to get some Tunisian. Maybe now. If anybody knows anybody from Tunisia, please send them send them our way. Another thing is that Eamon Amarth, that I mentioned, the band that I said was one of the towers from the, the two towers or something like that. I was completely wrong. Eamon Amarth 
is Sindarin, the language of the elves in Lord of the Rings, for Mount Doom, ah. which for a metal band, I should have guessed. It's far more appropriate, isn't it? They're, yeah. <laughs> so uh, that's, that's them. So they are, they're Mount Doom, and that's, that's what they're named after. And then Elizabeth Bathory, who Cradle of Filth wrote an album about, I sort of passed off as being just your typical cruel noblewoman. You know, a lot of noble women were cruel, but myths had grown up about her. Turns out that was a little bit of an understatement because she was actually a serial killer. <laughs> and in fact, she is the most prolific female serial killer in history. Wow, okay. <laughs> she tortured and murdered some 200 girls who worked in her service at some point or another uh, <laughs> and is infamous in her native Hungary for for being one of the worst people ever to have lived. So I may have been understating just, the case. Just moderately. A little bit. Just moderately. <laughs> but that's, anyway, that's Elizabeth Bathory. She's also, obviously, Bathory, the band that I mentioned, is having pretty much invented black metal. Uh, they're also named after her. So she's, she's sort of quite well known in those circles. Right. So there's one more thing which I wanted to follow up from last week, which is the Japanese thing. Because... I was so taken aback <laughs> by your thinking that I had had this very academic approach to studying Japanese. Right. Uh, that I, I had this whole idea about some of the things I might talk about last episode. And I didn't end up talking about any of it because I was kind of shocked <laughs> and, uh, and surprised. Because I, I think for the first three years that I was in Japan... I just went on to anyone who would listen about my, how I was approaching studying Japanese. Right. And I was probably very boring company as a result. But luckily for you, you met me after I'd been in Japan for four years, right. where I was already quite comfortable with Japanese, and you didn't have to suffer through this oh, I see. Uh, explanation. Uh, so that is maybe why, <laughs> why uh, you, you reached a conclusion. You know, I'm, not, I'm not sure where, where that idea came from. Uh, but it's certainly why you didn't sort of immediately think that I had had a, a non or an unorthodox uh, approach to learning Japanese. But I just wanted to, I'm not going to go into sort of the whole story that I was planning on doing last week, but I do want to clarify about the AJAT, all Japanese, all the time system, because from the description I gave last time, I kind of gave the impression that it was all about learning kanji with the high sig book, remembering the kanji. And that's so completely not what it's all about. And I just want to clear that up because if anybody who's actually done AJAT is listening, they'll be, they won't let it lie if I don't. <laughs> <laughs> so the whole point in AJAT, which is after all called all Japanese all the time, is that you listen to and interact with a lot of Japanese content. Mm. And in fact, the idea is that you, you give up your native language content. So for three years, I didn't read an English language book. I didn't listen to any music that was in English and I didn't watch any films until the dub had been released in Japan. I only listened to Japanese music and read Japanese books and manga and, and did Japanese stuff. And I completely cut out all English language stuff and computer games as well from my life. <laughs> and that was the approach that I took. And then, as well as that, when I actually got to Japan, I then spent quite a long time trying to socialize in Japanese, and I found this old man pub 
near where I worked, which was a great place actually called Liu. And it was it was downstairs on Sanjo, just east of Karasma in, in Kyoto. It was run by this amazing character called Rocky, who was Japanese. And I'm not sure that Rocky is his real name. But uh, right. um, he, was a, he was hugely into sort of American culture. And I think he was slightly disappointed when I told him that I'm not American, I'm English. <laughs> and I used to just hang out in his bar like a couple of times a week, two or three times a week. And I would sit at the counter and then there'd be all these regulars that would come in that were sort of middle-aged salary men who were just killing time before they went home and they'd get drunk. And it was great because they just wanted to talk and they didn't really mind mm. if I understood what they were saying. Mm. They weren't really there to hear what I had to say. <laughs> and so it was very low pressure. I could just listen to their stories and just very, very occasionally say something. But for the most part, you know, if I, if I didn't understand, I could just kind of skim over it. So, right. uh, so <laughs> it, was, it was a great place. I thoroughly enjoyed my, my time there. And it was, I think it was great sort of practice for my first couple of years in Japan. Unfortunately, a few years ago, Rocky actually died. Oh, really? Oh, that's sad. Yeah. And his wife kept the place running for a couple of months after that. But she, you know, she fairly quickly decided to pack it in and, and retire. Mm. And uh, so they they held a big closing party. On the day that they closed down, they had a big party with, uh, with all the regulars. And I was very honored to be invited to that. And... Uh, yeah, it was a big part of my life when I was in Japan. It was, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm very grateful to, to Rocky and to his wife and all the staff that, that worked at that bar for sort of making me feel welcome because I, I discovered this place in my first couple of weeks in Kyoto and I kept going there for two or three years until it shut down. And it was a, you know, it was a real anchor for me, I think, when I was first there in a, in a foreign country. Now that you're in, the, in America and using uh, less Japanese on a daily basis, are you finding it harder to speak Japanese when you have to? Well, I'm still 100% Japanese at home. Right. <laughs> so I still, I mean, in, in that sense, it hasn't changed all that much because, as you know, at the company that I was working at in Japan, the majority of the programmers were actually... English speaking. Mm. They were either English or from America or in some cases from other languages, from other countries like Finland, where we also don't yet have any listeners, by the way. So Swedes, Swedes and Norwegian listeners, if you've got any Finnish cousins. I know we have, uh, <laughs> I know we have one Finnish listener in Japan. We, have, we do have one Finnish listener, but he's in Japan. So maybe we should ask him to get all of his to friends, introduce his friends and family. We need, some, we need, we need to complete the Nordic set, right. I think. Right. Which means we need somebody from Finland and, and somebody listening from Iceland as well. Right. And Denmark. And uh, well, we've got one Dane. So <laughs> one. <laughs> thanks, thanks to our one Dane. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I used to speak a large amount of English at work, as it happens. I, I had to speak Japanese whenever I was dealing with non-programmers. But, you know, amongst programmers, the, the main language that we used was English. And then when I went home, I, I spoke Japanese with my wife and that's the same here mm. now i speak english at work and i speak japanese at home mm. so i don't feel like things have changed that much she sometimes points things out to me that are mistakes that she doesn't think i would have made when we were in japan 
So maybe maybe it's getting a bit worse. Right. I don't know. I feel like I would have made that mistake, those mistakes when I was in Japan, and she's just overestimating how good I was in the first place. But it, uh, it may also <laughs> have to do with the diversity of conversation that you have with her as well, I guess, because if you find yourself basically talking about the same things every day, right. then your flexibility in more distant topics from the ones that you're used to is going to suffer, which is inevitable too. I mean, basically, as I said last episode, language is basically like a very complex set of muscles. And uh, right. you know, if you work out just one specific muscle out of the set of them, then that will get stronger, but doesn't mean that the other ones will as well. I mean, they will... They will to a, to a little bit, but, uh, you know, it is very easy to get used to having the same conversation. And then that, you know, that doesn't easily equate to different topics or, or different challenging situations. That is true. I mean, I think we get quite a lot of variety. If anything, we get more variety now just because we have more time here than we, we used to have very long commutes when we lived in Japan. And so we didn't get very much time in the evenings just for talking, you know, and now we do. So, right. If any, if anything, we, we we do get more variety. I think. So for you, are you you're obviously in Sweden now, and I know you've been tied up with all the bureaucracy and things that involved that are always involved in moving to a new country. But are you planning on getting into the Swedish sooner rather than later, or are you going to hold off for a bit, or are you just not going to bother, or what are, what are your plans there? Absolutely, uh, Swedish. Uh, as soon as I can manage it, as soon as we can get into classes, the better. Sweden's really interesting because uh, basically everybody over the age of about 14 is more or less totally fluent in English, right? which is remarkable. My neighbor where I'm living here, when I first went over to introduce myself, the parents were out and the, uh, the do- one of the daughters came to answer the door. And she's, I found out later that she's 13, right. but she, she has impeccable English. Mm. And she says, oh, you know, when I got to know the family a bit better, she enjoys language learning, but it, it mostly comes from television exposure. Right. And that's why a lot of Swedish people have this sort of unusual hybrid American accent because a lot of the mass media comes from the United States. But uh, the only people here who don't speak English are young, young children and some of the uh, immigrant population. Oh, right. They'll speak their native language and Swedish, but they won't speak English or they, they, they have difficulty with English. That makes sense. Yeah. So in, uh, in the time that I've been here, basically there's only been about two or three times that I've encountered people who just don't speak English at all. So that presents a problem because, you know, learning Swedish then has to be a conscious effort that you really drive hard at. Right. Because uh, it's going to be all too easy to just, if you're in trouble in Swedish, mm. just, sorry, look, I'm, I don't really speak Swedish that much. So could we just switch into English? Is that all right? <laughs> and uh, right, right. unlike uh, Japanese people, Swedish people love to speak English when they have the opportunity. So um, mm. it's going to be challenging. But the bits of Swedish that I know, it's actually been very entertaining because this is the first time that I've learned a foreign language where there are actually linguistic connections to the English language. Right. So yeah. un- unlike Japanese which and Chinese, which is the only lang- language I speak, those two are obviously, you know, right on the other side of the globe and they're completely different linguistic branches. Right. Chinese is uh, just purely by coincidence, similar to English in a few aspects. I'm talking about Mandarin Chinese. Mm-hmm. Chinese Mandarin Chinese is like a, a simplified, more elegant, more logical version of English. Mm-hmm. 
simplified in the sense that there's no grammatical past tense like we have in English. Right. And if you want to talk about things in the past, you just add some kind of time in there, like yesterday I go to the bank. Right. Does that apply to the future as well? Yeah, of course. And uh, there, there are certain words that uh, you can use to quickly uh, indicate whether you're talking about the past or the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is fantastic. I mean, who needs past tense? Who needs past tense anyway? You know, right? It's redundant. If you if you got the word yesterday in there, then of course it's going to be in the past. But anyway, Chinese Mandarin Chinese. The difficulty, of course, is pronunciation uh, because it's a deeply tonal language. All languages are tonal, of course, mm-hmm. but not in the sense that uh, these proper tonal languages where the meaning changes drastically if you have the wrong tone. Right. But Swedish, yeah, it has uh, being from the same. A family of Germanic languages along with English, it has uh, uh, many similarities. And there are many, um, many times when you could be listening to something in Swedish and there are little bits and pieces that, oh, that sounds just exactly the same in English, mm. uh, which is for me like an exciting novelty to have that, uh, basically to have a few little bits and pieces in there that make it a tiny bit easier. Right. Does that feel easier to you? Or do you sometimes feel a little less... I've sometimes felt when I've tried to learn European languages that the similarity almost makes me feel less confident of what I know and what I don't. Like in Japanese, because it's so different a lot of the time, mm. I either know this word or I don't. And if I know it, it's going to be something that's like totally different to what the English word is. Whereas sometimes with a European language, if I know a lot of other words that are similar and that there's a bit of a pattern to the transformation to go from like the English version of that word to the Spanish or the French or whatever it might be, I kind of can trick myself into thinking I know a word when I don't. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like you kind of feel like you're, you're on slightly less stable ground because you're thinking, well, I think I know this word, but maybe I don't. Maybe it's just I've assumed it's this thing because it sounds like it would be that thing. Mm. Do you ever feel like that? Unfortunately, I haven't learned enough Swedish to get to that point yet. Mm. So far, though, the bits where uh, that sound like English are just really fun and exciting and uh, also kind of a relief because I guess in my situation, the whole reason I'd be learning Swedish is because I live in Sweden. Right. So the faster that I can become able to use this language, the better. So if that means that I'm accidentally using things in English, uh, which sound like something in Swedish, uh, sorry, actually using, accidentally using things in Swedish, which sound like English equivalents, but are actually wrong Mm. because the person I'm speaking to, the probability is that they're going to be able to speak English anyway. Right. If that means I can communicate with them that much faster, then, uh, that's great. But, um, Certainly, I, I can remember that um, in any country, specifically in Japan, when I was there as well, and I'm sure your experience would mirror this, the experience in a foreign country when you can speak the language is completely different and you really mm. properly feel like your your time in that country has begun right. when you become when you get over the crest of the hill and you're sort of able to uh, work your way through most most conversation situations. It's at that point that you really start to see inside the culture and see inside the, just the way that people are accustomed to think in that society. Right. And I'm really looking forward to that in Sweden because, as I said, Swedish people love to speak English to begin with. But it, because of that, it, everything automatically feels somehow very familiar mm. 
you know, nothing really feels that foreign. Mm. Uh, and I don't know whether that's because I'm hearing English or whether it's actually because Swedish people are not that different. Right, right. Uh, and, and being able to speak Swedish uh, is going to answer that, you know, that you'll know immediately if, if everything feels very, very foreign. That when you're speaking Swedish, then you'll know that that's the way that Swedish people actually are. And it's just that because they're speaking English, it feels familiar. Mm. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. The other thing I'm looking forward to doing mm. in Sweden uh, other than joining a band, which is uh, kind of a boring answer that you would probably expect from a bass player, is to find a table tennis club. Table tennis? I didn't know you played table tennis. Yes, you did. I must have told you. I don't think so. Really? Oh, maybe you didn't. I forgot. Yeah, no. Shocking, shocking new discoveries on air, live on air, <laughs> shocking new discoveries about Alex. Is that your Chinese half? Are you brilliant at it? Yes, I am. Totally. <laughs> Actually, um, I come from a musical family and I am, as far as sports are concerned, I can't even swim. There's an embarrassing, an embarrassing secret revealed. I cannot swim. As someone from Adelaide. Can you? Well, you know. Is that not, is there not a lot of swimming in Adelaide? No, because coast, you, you right? tend to die because uh, we've, we've right. got the blue bottle jellyfish and sharks and stuff like that. So, uh, Fair enough. no, actually, uh, talk about the way that poor education can scar a child. I remember the at uh, my primary school, the first lesson for swimming was you had to go under the water and open your eyes. What kind of ridiculous education <laughs> is that? And and this poor, whatever I was, like six-year-old or seven-year-old me, uh, I wasn't brave enough to open my eyes because I thought it would hurt mm-hmm. having the water in my eyes. It does because it's full of chlorine. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so I was placed in the special group mm. uh, along with like two or three other kids who could also couldn't open their eyes and you know once you get sort of placed in the special group as in the slow learning group mm. you know you, you're basically uh, especially with something like swimming where if you if you tense up and if you lose confidence and you think i can't do this you will actually sink right <laughs> uh you I did discover later that the one stroke that I can do is backstroke. Mm. And I think the reason for that is because I'm not looking into the water. I'm looking up at the sky. Right. And so if I just sort of stretch out and lie on my back, then I find that I float. Mm. And then all you need to do is move your arms and your legs and you're kind of swimming. Mm. <laughs> Whereas uh, on my front or any of the other, yeah, I, I just, yeah. So there's a shocking secret. Anyway, mm. so sports were never really my thing. Uh, so when I went to China to live for a year, uh, this was in 97, mm. and uh, at that stage in in uh, China, there was absolutely nothing to do for entertainment except for play table tennis or talk with your friends or play board games. Mm. That's a pretty good life, really, isn't it? Yeah, that sounds all right. Yeah. <laughs> that is indeed the life that we had for a year that I was there. Oh, very nice. So I went from basically you know, standing up with my, my hips pressed against the table, hitting the ball up and over the net mm. to 12 months later, standing about two meters back from the table, uh, slamming the ball as, as low over the net as you could possibly as possibly get it, like uh, these sort of uh, plastic torpedoes. <laughs> uh, and um, Chinese people take their table tennis extremely seriously, Danny. Yes, they do have that reputation. Like, for example, I don't know if you know this, but you may see... In Olympic table tennis, you may see that players stamp their feet when they are serving. Do you know why that is? Nope. The reason is if you stamp your foot when you're serving, you can mask the sound of the ball making contact with the bat. Oh. 
And if you mask that sound, then you can more easily disguise what kind of spin you're putting on the ball. Ah. I suppose because the ball is hollow, so how you hit it would make a big difference to the kind of the timbre of the sound that it makes. Precisely. And so if you stamp your foot when you do that, you can mask that. And uh, all Chinese people serve like that. They also, when I was playing, they would all serve under the arm. Mm. It's actually illegal now in in Olympic table tennis. You're not allowed to do that. You're not allowed to conceal Mm. your serve. Uh, You can conceal the sound of it, but you can't conceal the uh, appearance of it. Mm. And... Uh, yeah, in, the, in those days, you know, you'd be playing. <laughs> these Chinese players would these uh, students. Yeah, you, they, you just hear this massive, loud, loud stamping sound, and then out from un- their armpit somewhere would come this ball <laughs> loaded with lethal spin. <laughs> you just lift up your your uh, bat, and the ball would just like fly off in some extremely improbable direction. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, table tennis. I don't know if you knew this. Our many Swedish listeners will definitely know this, and even some of our not-so-many Norwegian listeners may know this also. Soon, soon to be very many and right. go Norway. That's right. <laughs> In Europe, Sweden actually has a long and very uh, heralded uh, reputation, uh, a history of table tennis and excellent table tennis players. Mm. One of the most famous being Jan Ovo Voldner, who is uh, otherwise known as J.O. here in his home country. Mm. He is a bit of a god, only recently retired after, whatever it was, like 40 years in the game playing professionally. Mm. He has deity status, official deity status in China. Oh, really? In China as well? Very respected. Yes, because um, Chinese table tennis culture is kind of like the way that Japanese view karate and judo you know nobody beats japanese people at karate and judo and when they do this person is truly special right and uh waldner has achieved that status in china because he uh, was capable of doing it on numerous occasions but anyway uh, for all these reasons i uh, really want to find a table tennis club in sweden and do you play table tennis no <laughs> there's a table tennis uh uh what do you call it a table i yeah. guess <laughs> there's a table tennis table up at the the mall just up the road from where i live right and i've always been tempted to give it a go there but uh, other than that no okay i have to just put in a brief sales pitch for the beauty of table te- table tennis and the mm. to begin with it's a very practical sport obviously because you play inside mm. Unless you're in China, in which case you pay outside on a concrete slab with bricks for a net. Bricks for a net. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's the, uh, the low-budget uh, student, student way of doing it. But uh, no, in, um, you play it indoors, which means that you aren't affected by the weather. Mm. It's excellent for your health. The movements that you make in table tennis are mostly lunging and stretching, uh, which is uh, the reason why it's an excellent sport uh, for elderly people as well. Mm. But... Why? What is good about the sport of table tennis? I think what it is, is when you get to a certain level, it becomes a lot like communication Mm. in that any move that you give me, I can counter with any other move. So, for example, if you put on strong backspin, Mm. I can give you side spin or backspin or topspin or... You know any of these moves, or even a smash, if I'm if I'm uh, that good to get the angle right. Mm. So it, it's not so much that you know, oh, the game is backspin now, so I have to respond with backspin. That's easy, mm. it's easiest to do, but you don't have to do it that way. Mm. So 
the choices that you make when you're playing and the choices that you make when you respond to your player mm. actually indicate a lot about your personality. Mm. And it becomes like a kind of communication because as you're playing, it will be like, oh, so that's how you want to handle it. That's the way you want to play, is it? Well, how about this? You know, right, right. Uh, as opposed to, oh, oh, you know, he's taken it to a, a backspin game now, so we're going to be doing backspin for the next five minutes. Right. It, it's, it's not so much like that. It's just more that you, you choose whatever move that you want to do. And there are, I think there are three official styles of play. There's defensive, there's offensive, and there's power play. Mm. Defensive is where you try to force an error in the player, mm. in your opponent. Uh, and that's usually done with heavy, heavy spin, especially backspin. Because if with backspin, if you don't get your angle right, the ball's going to go right down into the net. Right. So that's defensive players tend to use backspin a lot. You've got... Offensive players, like me, where it's all about speed. Mm. And so basically, you're using a lot of topspin. Topspin causes the ball to, instead of going in a straight line, it actually arcs downward. Okay, yeah. Yeah, which means that you can stand very, very far back from the table Mm. and slam the ball and have it kind of drop down into the other player's side of the table mm. the benefit of standing far back from the table is mainly two it, there's two benefits number the first benefit it gives gives you more time mm. the second benefit is that the further back you are will enable you to return the ball more confidently lessening the chance of it going over the other end of the table right because the rubber on a table tennis bat is obviously elastic like it's obviously bouncy Mm. And if you play a very, very close game, but you have a very a bat with very thick sponge and thick rubber on it, mm. then uh, you have to be very, very careful because if the opponent hits the ball extremely hard, the ball will actually bounce way off the end of the other side of the table just because of the the elasticity in your in your bat. So that's reduced if you stand that far back. So topspin is useful for the, for the offensive player. And the third style is power play. Power play is basically... You are sort of a midway, which is like about a meter, a meter and a half away from the table. Mm. And you are using placement. So you are forcing the opponent left and right and left and right and then right and right and then left. And then basically trying to defeat them with clever placement, having them run all the way over one side and then then dropping in a very unexpected return on the other and and stuff like that. Mm. So all of these techniques you can use against any of these other techniques and... The equipment for table tennis is really interesting too, like the effect that different kinds of top sheets have and different thicknesses of sponge underneath them. And then also the the actual, you've got inverted rubber, which is like a smooth, a smooth finish. You've got like sticky rubber, which is like a smooth, but very, very hmm. tacky surface. And you've got uh, small pips, you call, we call them short pips, uh, and also long pips, which is, as the name describes, is long pips. So anyway... It's a great sport. Oh. Are, those, are those standardized? Are those like, like in tennis, you've got matches which are played on grass and matches which are played on clay and so forth. In table tennis, do you have, like is a tournament on one particular kind of table and a different tournament might be on a different kind of table or how does that all work? Yeah, with regards to tables, uh, it's all the one regulation table. Right. And oh, the materials you were talking about just now with the rubber and the long pips and the short pips, is that on the bat? That's on the bat, the yeah. That's on the bat. Yeah. Oh, okay. And how is that? Is that also regulated? That's regulated too. It's regulated. The the makers are always coming up with new amazing technology, but there are a set of rules. One side has to be red. The other side has to be black. 
And there's no no rules dictating what you put on either side or whether you hold one forehand or backhand. Mm. That, that's that's up to you to decide. Did you know, actually, the red side actually is faster and it's actually marginally faster because of the dyes that are put into it to make it red. Really? That's true. It is actually true. They change the material properties of the surface. The, the dye, yeah. the colored dye to make it red uh-huh. has a, a tiny time. I mean, we're talking minuscule effect on the bounciness of it oh, the bounciness of the surface, the elasticity of the surface itself yeah. on the back which, which helps it achieve oh, wow. isn't that cool that is fascinating yeah. and also on top of all this if it wasn't interesting enough you also have three kinds of grips that you can use in table tennis that are legal mm. the most common these days is called the shake hand grip mm. which is basically you hold it essentially like a tennis racket except you've got your pointer finger sticking out on the backhand side. Mm. The point of that is to basically get the surface of the bat closer to the top of your hand. Mm. The closer that can be to your hand, the easier it is to hit on target. Obviously, the further away it is, the more potential there is for you to miss it because it's, right. you know, you're not interacting with the it's ball with your hand. You're yeah, inter- yeah. yeah. There's a shake hand. There's also a pen grip and pen grip. Uh, comes in two varieties, the Chinese variety and the Japanese variety. The Japanese? Interesting. Yeah, so <laughs> there's the, the penhold uh, Japanese style, uh, which is actually a specific kind of bat, mm-hmm. and then the penhold Chinese style. The penhold Chinese style is played with a bat that looks very, very similar to a shake hand bat. Mm-hmm. The handle is just very fairly short and stubby because uh, you're holding it, how do you describe it? If you if you make a fist and then you you open your thumb and your pointer finger, mm. the handle of the bat is held be- between your pointer finger and your thumb, like inside that loop. Mm-hmm. And the the hitting surface of the bat is actually downwards, so it's on top of your fingers, right? As opposed to shake hand, where it's more or less like a tennis racket that's very very short and small, right? So. Chinese pen grip uses a standard bat that way with a, with a stumpy handle because it doesn't need to be that long because you're not holding onto it with your hand. Mm. And this is going to be really hard to describe. That the way that you do backhands compared to a Japanese pen grip is different. So in a Japanese backhand with Japanese-style pen grip, the Japanese pen grip bats look very different uh, and they're made to only be hit with the one side that's pointing outwards. Whereas a Chinese pen grip, mm. you can actually hit on the backside mm. by lifting it up slightly. Yeah, it's really hard to describe. You probably go have, need to go on YouTube <laughs> and have a look. But anyway, it's a fantastic sport. Fascinating. Very interesting. I think you're actually the second person I've met who's very into table tennis. My goddaughter's mother uh, <laughs> is... I think she may have played for England at one wow. point. Not at the Olympics or anything like that. But I think she... She went over to China once to play for like the the British youth team or something like that. Wow, great! So she was yeah, she was well into it. So yeah, oh, very interesting. Yeah, but I have yet to give it a proper go. Yeah, it's definitely um, because it's such a fun game to play, even if you don't play, you know, on that very high speed technical level. Mm. You know, even if you're just playing with friends, hitting a ball around uh, in your lunch break or whatever, it's, it's so easy to start. It's kind of like guitar, very easy to start and very difficult to master. Right. Right. <laughs> but very, very satisfying to master, just like guitar. Right. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's very interesting. 
oh, one thing I didn't mention earlier, and I probably should have when we were talking about the the tenth episode and the geography stats and all of that. I have made a Reddit, a subreddit for the podcast. Are you do you use Reddit? I do not. I mean, I do now because we have an, a lovely Station Thirteen subreddit, so, so I do use <laughs> it now. But no, up until now, I'd, I've never really understood Reddit. But I know it's you know fantastic and very influential and popular and very very great. But no, I have never really used it up to this point. Reddit Reddit is great. I think you have to use it to really appreciate it. And it also because Reddit is formed of all these different communities. Some of the communities are better than others, and some have a terrible reputation, and there's uh, definitely some nasty elements in certain places on the site. But there's also some great subreddits where, you know, whatever your hobby may be, there will be a subreddit for it. We Once I came through to the, the back room at Vitae, and I was talking with the lead programmer there, Chris, and for some reason, he had noticed on his way in that morning that there was something nice about the the door hinge, you know, the hinge causing the door to open and close uh, in in our office in the back room. And we got talking, and we we ended up somehow we were like, I bet there's a subreddit for door hinges. And sure enough, r slash hinges, <laughs> there it was. <laughs> People discussing nice door hinges. So so that was. <laughs> So really, truly, whatever you might be interested in, uh, there there is a subreddit for it. And I've I've been using it for a while. I've posted to and followed the Haskell subreddit for a while because I use the programming language Haskell. And I'm currently spending a, a reasonable amount of time on the Ancient Greek subreddit because that's obviously a point of interest for me at the moment. But it's also a great place where people can just form a community and talk about things that is a little more collected than twitter because we've had some great tweets in the past from people who've been listening to the show and have sort of thought of something as they're listening and just tweeted one of us or tweeted the at station 13 fm twitter account and that's great long may it continue but by opening a reddit we can kind of collect some of this feedback together and we can join in and also people who are listening can kind of discuss with each other as well so I'm hoping that it will be a success. I've I've actually made a post for all of the episodes we've had so far, which because nobody knew a Reddit existed, <laughs> nobody has obviously commented on those. Right. But I will be I will be making a new post for this episode, and I will put a link to it in the show notes. So I'll put a link to the subreddit in the show notes. So feel free to comment on this episode's post. You'll see a a comment button that you can click. If you want to comment on anything we've talked about in the episode, and if you want to, co- to comment about anything in general, something that you've seen that reminded you of Station 13, something we talked about on an old episode, perhaps you want to put up a photo of a number plate with an interesting file extension. Or perhaps you're from Norway and you just want to show your Norwegianness. Perhaps, yes, perhaps you're from Norway and you want to make a stand for uh, the Norwegian collective. The glory of your country. So any of these things, you can make your own post as well. And the way that Reddit works is that you can upvote and downvote posts and the, the most popular posts will kind of bubble to the top. So link in the show notes. Let's all do that. Yeah, as well as uh, Norwegian listener count versus Sweden listener count, we could have uh, Norwegian thread versus Sweden thread on the subreddit. 
Right, yeah. But w which thread will get the most comments in reply and which thread will get the most upvotes because those are two different metrics of success <laughs> i see i guess uh, i guess the only way to win is just to have them both guys so uh get to it get it get on it yeah uh any other <laughs> any other nations want to show this nordic lot right <laughs> what they're up against sri lanka sri lanka you can do it just <laughs> Just come on, our one Sri Lankan, our one Sri Lankan, and our one Dane. You can have your your <laughs> a combined thread. The old old uh, Denmark's got quite a lot of catching up to do there to uh, to to its uh, you know its neighbours in uh, Norway and and Sweden, and also we've got to get our uh, our one Finnish listener in Japan to to get his uh, get his mates on the on the on the show. Definitely, good bit of friendly international rivalry we have we ha do have listeners from other countries but they didn't get a mention because there weren't enough of them so if you're from any of the countries that haven't been mentioned you should also just chime in and say hello i'm from russia that's one of them russia hello russian <laughs> <laughs> well i look forward to uh, episode 11 and finding out uh, you know all of a sudden we'll have thousands and thousands of downloads from norway yeah uh, or maybe not We'll see. Or maybe not. It rests in your hands, people of Norway. <laughs>